An epic trade deadline for the ages in Major League Baseball. Juan Soto goes to San Diego. The Yankees fortify their roster and the Dodgers stood pat. Also an enormous five-game series is on deck as the Braves and Mets face off over the weekend. Deshaun Watson gets a six-game suspension to an arbiter. But wait, the NFL said not so fast. Is a long tug-of-war in store between the league and the Players Association? Plus, Tiger gets called out for passing on $700 to $800 million, and now lawsuits toward the PGA Tour on the horizon with Phil Mickelson leading the brigade? It's hard to keep you cool during the summer season as the intensity will turn up as I discuss the above and much more. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, and excellent spirits. We're just a few days into the new month, and there are some things that are percolating to satisfy your sports appetite as yours truly has your back, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday... I welcome you guys and gals back. Yes, as we get closer to the football season, whether it's college or the pros, still a ways to go when it gets to the hockey or basketball season. Of course, you know, baseball is going to be illuminating throughout the course of this podcast with everything that's gone on. But there are a couple other things that I want to touch on, including Deshaun Watson. Word came down pretty much after the recording, which is typical, but for the league and the arbiter to give Deshaun Watson a six-game suspension. And what it looked like, it was going to be that based on what the Players Association were saying as far as them not looking to appeal and urging the NFL to do the same. Well, last night or yesterday afternoon, the NFL said, "Uh uh-uh, that's not going to happen. So let's see where that's going to take us and if there's going to be a huge disconnect between the Players Association and, of course, the league. So I'll touch on that later on as well as What's happening in golf, we got a couple of angles there where Greg Norman puts Tiger Woods on blast as far as the $700 to $800 million that was offered to Tiger by the Live Tour. And as we all know, Tiger has passed. So 
I definitely have to share a thought on that, as well as Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, and about nine other golfers have now come out to file a lawsuit against the PGA Tour. I'll go in on that. And remember, Mickelson was also part of this, being the first guy to leave the tour, to jump onto the Live Golf League, and now he's going to be the one spearheading this attack on the PGA, so I'll unpack that later on. But as I mentioned, it is going to be baseball. And when we take a look back at the deadline on Tuesday, 6 p.m., and your boy got it wrong, I thought there was no way that Juan Soto would have been moved here to the deadline, and he's going to be the headliner here as we get through not every single trade. I'm not going to break down every small deal that had taken place. I'm just going to focus in on a lot of the big trades. I know you have some... Others where the Twins made a couple of deals, in particular the closer for the Orioles. Yes, I could dissect that, but with the big players here, in particular the Padres to start us off, where the Soto sweepstakes went to San Diego as they offered up a huge package led by Mackenzie Gore, the young left-handed pitcher, as well as a bunch of other prospects. Eric Hosmer was rumored to be a part of that deal, but he does have a no-trade clause or had a list of teams that he wouldn't want to be traded to, the Nationals being one of them. And then, unfortunately, Luke Voigt gets thrown in there, so he gets jettisoned to Washington. At least he'll get some playing time. I get it. He went from a team that was going to be a contender, a team that was in all likelihood going to make the wild card, and now he's pretty much in baseball Siberia as the Nationals are the worst team in the sport. But when it comes to Soto, I didn't think that despite how attractive the package would have been by any team, let alone San Diego, that when you have a player who still has two and a half years left on his rookie deal, a team in the Nationals had no urgency to trade him, although we do know that the $440 million offer still wasn't enough for Soto to sign, and we get it that Mike Rizzo's hands were, I'm not going to say tied, Because it's not as if he was going to be a free agent at the end of the year or even at the end of next year. So for Rizzo to pretty much field any offer that was coming his way and for San Diego to say, here it is, take it or leave it. And he probably felt that even after this year and going into an offseason that he wasn't going to turn down a package like that. And we all know we have to see how this is all going to shake down for the Nationals in the years to come. Gore is a young pitcher who is pretty much the, I'm not going to say the highlight of this package, although you could arguably say that, but with all the other players that were thrown in there and not knowing how they're going to pan out as major league ball players, this was something that they had to do knowing that they would have made the playoffs anyway, and it's not as if they were four or five games back of the Dodgers, whom they actually play this weekend in LA, but we all know that the Padres, for everything that they've done over the last few years, even going back to the Eric Hosmer deal, and I'm going to get to him in a second, between he, Manny Machado, Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, signing Fernando Tatis to that mega contract, this was the Padres' shot across the bow to, I'm not going to say automatically put them in as World Series favorites, but they certainly put their hat in the ring to say, not only do we mean business, but we feel as if Juan Soto is the final piece to this World Series puzzle. And now we have to wait and see how this is all going to unfold. 
Soto made his debut last night, one for three. I believe had a couple of walks. They blew out Colorado in preparation for their four-game set against the Dodgers this weekend. And then you had Eric Hosmer, as I mentioned, the guy that pretty much started this whole turnaround for the Padres, knowing that they're a team that played in Southern California that only had two distinctive World Series runs or trips through the playoffs when we look at 1984 when they lost to a juggernaut Tiger team and then in 1998, arguably the greatest team of all time in the New York Yankees. And they felt, going back from that moment to all those big deals that I mentioned, that this was it. They knew that they were going to have Soto for at least two and a half more years. Who knows if he's going to be a part of this team after the 2024 season. You would think yes, but think about this, people. You currently have two $300 million contracts on your roster as it is. Manny Machado, I believe, is in year four of his deal And Fernando Tatis Jr. is in year one. And considering that he turned down $440 million from the Nationals, he's not going to be a $300 million player. He could possibly be a $500 million player when it's all said and done. So to think, you're going to have three players that are going to be wrapped up in over a billion dollars. Because let's just say Soto signs for $450. Add that to the, I believe it's 340 for Tatis. And then you have 300 for Manny Machado. That's over a billion dollars in three players. And Soto was offered 15 for 440. And you would think by the time he gets to his walk year, and at that point I believe he'll be 26, if I'm not mistaken. And just to think that 26 He's probably going to get minimum 12 years to at least he's 38. So you're talking about some heavy payroll heading down the Padres' way, but they do not care because they know that if this was going to be the one guy that was going to take them from playoff contention to a World Series, even if they gave up some high-level prospects, then so be it. And you can't knock the Padres for what they did here. And that's on top of bringing in Josh Hader from the Brewers, who Hader had not pitched the way he had over the last couple of years. He's given up a ton of home runs. I get it. He had a couple of bad outings, which had inflated his ERA. Otherwise, he's been pretty much his usual all-star closer self. But with Hader there and now Soto, you would think that the Padres will pretty much entrench themselves in a wild card to go along with the Braves, who currently hold the first playoff spot in the National League because the division you can forget about. And even if they go into Chavez Ravine this weekend and sweep the Dodgers, they're still going to be about eight games back in order for them to win a division. So as much as you want to look at this trade and maybe think that there is a slim yet outside shot for them to win a division, think again. And quickly on Hosmer, as I diverted there for a second, Hosmer goes to Boston in a deal where I don't even know who went back from Boston. I believe Tampa was involved in a three-way deal. I don't know the moving pieces, but I know Hosmer now is in a Red Sox uniform, a lefty bat, a guy that they could just pretty much plug in there and see if the Red Sox could come up rolling 7s and 11s to see if they could make it in an American League wildcard race. The second team on the docket here 
is the Yankees because with everything that has transpired with this team throughout the course of this year, I believe their record is, what, 70-38, and 38, if I'm not mistaken? And they have not played well. They lost two out of three to Seattle here over the last series. And even though they won three out of four over the weekend against the Royals, but they embark on a long trip where they go to St. Louis this weekend, then to Seattle, and then to Boston. So an interesting stretch for the Yankees here, and they did a lot at the deadline, not only by trading for relief help, whether it was to the Cubs for a rookie pitcher named Scott Efros, who's had excellent numbers this year for the Cubs. Also throw in Frankie Montas and a deal that they brought him as well as their closer, Lou Trevino, to the Bronx. So their bullpen is fortified. And then lastly, they brought in a guy in Harrison Bader from the Cardinals in which they shipped back Jordan Montgomery, who had really fallen on bad times here recently with the Yankees. And in fact, he's going to start Saturday. As I mentioned, the Yankees go to St. Louis this weekend. So let's see if he can exact some revenge against his former team. I know Montgomery was pretty much beside himself saying that this is the only team he's ever known. They've been like family. And now that he had to depart to St. Louis, which is a very good baseball town, and I'm sure they're going to greet him with open arms. But I know that had to be a tough turnaround for him, knowing that he had been dealt out of the American League to the National League. And guess what? He's going to face his old team this coming weekend. So the emotions are going to be flooding all over the place if you're Jordan Montgomery here over the course of the next few days. But the Yankees... We know for them, it is World Series or bust. And that's pretty much the credo year in and year out when it comes to the Bombers. But with their torrid start and them having a, what, 12-game lead in the division, 70 and 38, I believe their record is. I'll have to double-check that. I should know that off the top of my head. But the Yankees have not played well here. And I think they did just enough for their team, Brian Cashman being the GM, to put them in a very good position to make a deep playoff run. Now, you have to worry about the Astros who are breathing down their neck. I believe they're just one game behind them in the American League race for best record. The Astros are 68. Let's pull that up right now. Stop playing around here, Jay Reels. The Yankees, who have been in first place all year long, not only in the division, but with the best record, 70-36, and The Astros are 68 and 38. So there's a two game advantage at this current moment. The Dodgers actually have the best record in the sport at 70 and 33, but that's by percentage points and, of course, with three games in hand. But anyway, the Yankees know that this year, with everything that's happened, the pitching performances that they've received up until the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but with the performance by Aaron Judge, who I mentioned is a lock. AL MVP, forget about candidate, winner. Not to say that if he weren't to play another game the rest of the year that he would win, but chances are with everything that he's put forth here over the first four months of the season, you could pretty much write it in stone that he is going to win that award this year. But now there's been a few cracks in the armor to where they brought in reinforcements. They brought in guys that have been in playoff scenarios, even the Oakland A's for that matter, if you could believe that with Montas, Trevino, Harrison Bader, a guy who's actually from the Bronx and I believe grew up in Bronxville. So he's coming back home. And I'm sure he's looking forward to playing in front of his family and friends. But the Yankees, as we all know, 
all in every year. But to me, anything short of a World Series win. Forget about a World Series appearance. And I understand you got to get there first before you could win the whole thing. But this is a team that has not tasted a World Series title in 13 years. Or at least going on that because we haven't finished out this year. But you have to wonder about their pitching. And yesterday was indicative of that because granted from innings two through six, because I believe he pitched six innings yesterday. But Garrett Cole with a six-run first inning where he gave up three home runs. And now he's pitched recently, losing in Baltimore. He had a no decision against Kansas City, but was spotted a 3 nothing lead and then spit the bit. You really have to wonder and question whether or not Garrett Cole is going to be, of course, focused come October. But is he a guy you're going to trust? Is he a guy that you're going to bank on to think that game one in an ALDS all right, we got a one nothing series lead. And to think, they traded Montgomery off. We don't know about Luis Severino. All right, you bring in Frankie Montas, but now he goes from Oakland, which was a doormat in the American League, to now the penthouse. And how he's going to perform under the bright lights, we haven't seen that from him. And can you fully trust Jameson Tyon to be the guy that's going to deliver the goods in a game two or game three? And this is where the Yankee question mark is going to lie. We know about their offense. They are a bully offense, and we can't fully trust them come October. But to me, it's going to be about their pitching. And if Cole's not going to be the anchor to that rotation, it may be a short October for the Bombers. But that's for down the road. We still got a ways to go before we even get there. But that's team number two. Now, the other team that I got to put on blast is the Dodgers. Because the Dodgers, for all their payroll, all of their stars, and yes, they won a World Series two years ago during the pandemic year, but the only player that they brought back as far as any transactions go was Joey Gallo. We knew Gallo was going to be on his way out once they brought in Andrew Benintendi. And Gallo, in a recent interview, mentioned that it was tough for him to even show his face in the streets of New York as he had an apartment in Manhattan. And considering he was batting, what, 160 with a million strikeouts? And yes, he does have some pop, and we all know that he could get a hold of one at any point. But he's such a feast or famine, and in this particular case, a famine player, that he was embarrassed to even walk out of his apartment. So for him to go to L.A., that may be a good thing. And wouldn't the irony of all ironies be that if Gallo and the Dodgers were to play the Yankees in a World Series and in a big spot, Gallo hits a couple of home runs in a series where it helps the Dodgers win another championship? That would be something. But I'm surprised that the Dodgers didn't get relief help because you cannot trust Craig Kimball at the back of the bullpen. Their starting rotation, not to say it's in shambles, but can you trust Tony Gonsolin come postseason time? I wouldn't. Clayton Kershaw, we understand the back of his playoff baseball card has not been anything to what we've seen during his regular season resume. When you look at his history, Walker Bueller still out with an injury. I'm surprised that they didn't go after, maybe not a big pitcher, but a pitcher that could stabilize that rotation as well as the reinforcements similar to what the Yankees did here over the last few days that the Dodgers could get some bullpen help. And going to the Cubs, I believe, to get a guy like Chris Martin, that's not cutting it. 
So the Dodgers, for whatever the reason, they pretty much stood pat. They looked and said, this is the team we're going to have moving forward. We're going to clinch the NL West again. We're going to be in line to make a long postseason run. Now it's just a matter of getting everybody healthy, getting everybody on the same page, and come October 9th, all systems go. As far as the other big teams, and I'll just break it down quickly. Houston acquired Trey Mancini, who already contributed with a home run yesterday against the Red Sox. They also bring in Kristen Vasquez, speaking of the Red Sox, to back up Martin Maldonado. And you had Jorge Lopez, as I mentioned earlier, with the Twins. But again, you don't expect the Twins to do anything in October, as we've seen throughout the course of the last two decades. The Phillies made some deals, bringing back David Robertson. Also, Brandon Marsh, an outfielder from the Anaheim Angels. Noah Syndergaard comes back to the NL East. That should be interesting as they'll face the Mets a couple of times here later in the month. And to see if Syndergaard is going to avoid facing his former team similar to what he did a few months ago when the Mets played out in Anaheim. The Braves made a small move bringing in Jake Odorizzi, sending Will Smith to the Houston Astros. And that was also a nice move by Houston because they need bullpen help in the worst way. And Smith is a lefty to come out of that bullpen which will be enormous, especially when you're facing the likes of Rizzo in a postseason. The Blue Jays, who have played very well here over the course of the last couple of weeks, they bring in the former Royal second baseman, Whit Merrifield. The thing with Merrifield, though, is if you recall a few weeks back when the Royals played in Toronto, there were about 10 players who were unable to play because they were unvaccinated. And he being one of them, and also Andrew Benintendi for that matter, but I believe he's been vaccinated since from his trade from Kansas City to the Yankees. So now you have Merrifield, who the Blue Jays are bringing in, and he pretty much has no choice because what is he going to do, just play the road games? So I don't know if that's been cleared as of yet, but you would think with the Blue Jays trying to make a push, not only in a wild card, but also put themselves in good standing in that wild card race, Bringing in Merrifield, you would think that he would have been vaccinated by now. I don't know if Toronto is on the road. I believe they're actually in Minnesota this weekend. So I guess he has a couple of days to maneuver and not necessarily to figure out, but maybe to contemplate, all right, I'm going to have to go through with this because what's going to happen when the Blue Jays go back to Toronto? He's going to sit in a hotel in Detroit or in the next city where Toronto's going to make in their next road trip? I mean, it doesn't make sense. So with all those deals that are made, and now as we get to the baseball, not a lot has transpired here over the course of the last few days. I mentioned about the Yankees, Seattle, Luis Castillo yesterday already paying dividends as he won his game against the Yankees for the second time in about three weeks. Seattle, you think, is going to really put themselves in a position where even though they're sandwiched between Toronto and the Tampa Bay Rays, actually they are... Three games, or really three in the loss, two games back behind Toronto in the wild card as of this very moment. And then Tampa is one game back, tied in the loss with Seattle. And then you have the Guardians, Orioles, who swept the Rangers and put themselves in a good position. And this is after trading Trey Mancini off. So you have to wonder whether the Orioles now, if they could go ahead and 
push pedal to the metal, and it's pretty much going to be like that for them between now and the rest of the regular season, but only two games back in the loss and one and a half back. Remember, they were about three, three and a half, I believe, last week at this time, so they've made up a couple of games during this process, and remember, they did win three out of four over Tampa last week, so good for the Orioles and what they've done. The White Sox have also trimmed that lead as they're two games back, a half game behind the Orioles in the wild card mix, and two games back, of course, of the last spot being the Tampa Bay Rays. And then you want to round it off with the Red Sox, who are three back of the last spot. As I mentioned on Monday, you're going to have some intrigue with the American League wildcard race as you have a bunch of teams looking to get those two spots, I'll say right now, because the Blue Jays do have a three-game lead unless they all of a sudden go into a nosedive. But for Tampa, I'll say Seattle too, but for Seattle... Tampa, Cleveland, Baltimore, Chicago, Boston. Six teams for two spots. Granted, they may not be all the sexiest teams because nobody's going to pretty much take the Guardians seriously. I would think a lot of people would look at the Orioles as a team that will fold. The White Sox, a team that was expected to compete for a division, and pretty much they still are considering between them, Cleveland, Minnesota, they're all fighting for the AL Central title. But they do have the wild card to fall back on. And then the Red Sox, let's see what they do here if they're going to be any type of threat here in this wild card race. The National League, a much different story because with the Giants losing again to the Dodgers and they've been awful, what could you say? They've t- played terrible against the Dodgers going back to the All-Star break where they got swept out of L.A. and it looks like they're about to be swept again. By the Dodgers. The Dodgers have already taken the first two games of this three-game set. As a matter of fact, let me just double-check that because I believe this is a four-game series with the Giants. And yes, they've already lost the first three games. So to think, four games out of the break, four games now, they've lost seven in a row to the Dodgers since the middle of July. And who knows if the Giants are going to be in this wild-card race because they are five back of the Last playoff spot in the National League, and that belongs to the Phillies at this very moment. In fact, they're five and a half back and six in a loss. The Cardinals are just a half game back of the Phillies, but tied in the loss column. And then we have the Braves, who have a six and a half game lead over the Phillies, who have that final spot. And the Padres, who, as I mentioned, you would think they're going to be in good position to get that second wild card spot. So it looks like it's going to be a battle between the Phillies and Cardinals for that final playoff spot in the National League, and it's going to be ho-hum when you think about it because the Giants right now, they look like they're headed out to sea in 2022. You forget about the Marlins. They're now eight and a half back, and your National League wildcard race is going to be ho-hum, to say the least. Quickly with the division races, We'll start off with the American League Central. As I mentioned, those three teams, Minnesota, Cleveland, and Chicago, all separated by two games. We feel that's going to be a fight to the very end. And who knows if one of those two teams could actually be in the wild card, whether you're, or really three teams, because Cleveland and Chicago are part of the American League wild card mix. But I'm sure they have their eyes set on the division. As we mentioned, Toronto is going to play Minnesota over the weekend. Chicago, I believe they're on the road playing Texas. I'll take a look at that real quick. And we'll see what Cleveland is up to over the weekend. As we take a look 
The White Sox are in Texas, like I mentioned. Four games between Toronto and Minnesota. And then the Guardians host the Astros over the weekend. So that's not going to be an easy feat for Cleveland. In the NL, the Brewers have actually lost a couple of games in a row to the Pirates of all teams. And then the Cardinals are now just a game and a half back. They've been three back, it seems like, for the last couple of weeks. But now with the Brewers hitting the skids here, losing three in a row, and then the Cardinals are hoping to see if they could gain some ground as they are now just one in the loss, one and a half back. Let's see who the Cardinals and Brewers have over the weekend. Now the Brewers will finish their series in Pittsburgh today. The Cardinals, as I mentioned earlier, they'll play the Yankees, but they'll wrap up a series against the Cubs, who, as we all know, they've been god-awful this year. So they can actually inch a little bit closer and maybe even draw even in the loss column. But you would think the Pirates, although they played well here against the Brewers, but if the Brewers have any type of gumption, you would think that they would at least salvage this game and go into the weekend not tied for first in the loss column and try to at least extend their lead. And as far as the NL East goes, the Mets win two out of three in Washington as the Phillies split against the Braves the last couple of days. And now it sets them up for a five-game series starting tonight at City Field. One tonight, one tomorrow, two Saturday, and then one on Sunday. Sunday, Jacob DeGrom is going to start. We saw him pitch there Tuesday in Washington to where he only threw 59 pitches, five innings, one run, three hit ball, six strikeouts, no walks, did touch 101 on a gun a few times, and I'm not going to say that DeGrom is back. Again, it was the Nationals. It was a game that he did get a no decision, although the Nationals won. But for DeGrom to have that type of effort, I thought he would throw a few more pitches, but I guess five was the limit, whether he threw 59, 39, or 79 pitches. But that was a very intriguing performance if you're a Met fan, knowing that if he's going to be sound, if he's going to be healthy, and as I've said before, and I'll say it one last time, Max Scherzer there definitely helps, but when you have both of those guys at their top form, they're going to be a tough out in October. And let's see what he does against Atlanta because that is going to be a true test for him knowing that he got the first game out of his system and under his belt, and now he could focus in on the Braves, which for five games, not to say that this could be the division, but... You would think if there's going to be any damage done, one of the two teams are going to have to win at least four games. Because whether the Braves win three out of the five or the Mets win three out of the five, yes, you're going to feel good if you're a fan of either one of those teams. But if you're going to really make a significant dent, whether it's the Braves trying to cut into that lead or the Mets trying to extend it to win four out of five, That's where you're going to be happy and feel good about yourselves if you're a Brave fan, Met fan, and we shall see. Tonight, Carlos Carrasco is going to pitch, followed by Taiwan Walker. Max Scherzer is going to pitch the first game, I believe, against Max Fried, which will be a rematch of their showdown a few weeks ago in Atlanta. Saturday night, that has been undecided, I think, as of right this minute, and then you have the Grom on Sunday. So come Monday, we'll break it all down and see where both the Mets and Braves stand as far as the NL East is concerned. A couple other notes before I move on. The first one being Vin Scully. 
Sports has lost two legends here over the past four days. Obviously, Bill Russell there on Sunday. We all talked about what he did, not only as a player, but as a humanitarian, activist, etc. And then now, Vin Scully, who, when we think about the Mount Rushmore of baseball announcers, and I get it, that you're not going to look at Red Barber or Mel Allen. You could certainly put them up there. But Vin Scully, in his face, belongs right next to those two because everybody in this day and age, being prisoners of the moment, they're not going to go back as far as Red Barber or Mel Allen or even Ernie Harwell, the former Tiger announcer. But for Scully, who started his career in 1950 and was a broadcaster for 67 years after he retired in 2016, saw all those great Dodger teams going back to the 50s, the Subway Series, the 55 World Series Championship, then moving to L.A., the Koufax years, the Lasorda years in the 70s, of course the 80s when he broadcasted on NBC the World Series. How could you forget his calls? 86, the play by Buckner. 88, the home run by Kirk Gibson. She is gone in game one. Also in football, the NFC Championship game, Montana the Clark. What more can be said about this guy who has seen it all, done it all, Revered by so many, great stories abound over the last few days. The outpouring of love, the posts on social media by some of the players, whether you're Bryce Harper, Giancarlo Stanton, those are just a couple to mention. And granted, he's been out of the booth there for six years, but he was still pretty much sharp as a tack. But at the age of 94, it passed away. I don't know what the cause of his death was, but considering what he's done, he is a pillar in the broadcasting world someone who will never be forgotten, nor should he be. And with his broadcasting style, the way he just put the portrait in front of the whole world to watch, even Hank Iron's 715th home run. Also, whenever you watched a game, especially in those first couple of innings, really the first inning where he said, pull up a chair and sit back and relax, there's never going to be another Vince Scully. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to his entire family, Dodger Nation, etc. And then the other thing, I just want to touch on this for a quick second because I did watch parts three and four of the Jeter documentary. And again, it's another trip down memory lane. There were some interesting tidbits in these last two episodes and the next two are tonight, five and six, where the relationship with A-Rod, obviously that could be a documentary unto itself. But his relationship with George Steinbrenner and a couple of stories that I never heard One being that Steinbrenner approached him when it came to bringing A-Rod to the team. And for George to do that shows the type of respect. And granted, he was already the captain of the team. But we know George, him being a tyrant, him doing it his way. And for Steinbrenner to even approach one of his players out of respect to say, are you good with this move bringing in Alex Rodriguez? And as you saw what Jeter said in the documentary, he was all in. I also like the story about him in the dugout at Comiskey Park during a rain delay, trying to hash things out as it seemed to be a little odds against both the shortstop and third baseman. And A-Rod, I'll give it to him in this regard, him being a stand-up guy, wanting to play third base. I also like that exchange he had with Brian Cashman during the baseball writer's Association during the award ceremony when he won the MVP in his final year in Texas 
and how Cashman mentioned, hey, how about if you play third base and A-Rod had his first drink and he shrugged it off and laughed it off and then after a couple other cocktails, he turned him and said, really, third base? I thought that was fascinating. But it's interesting because as I'm watching all this, again, the trip down memory lane, having to go through the Subway Series in 2000 to relive the whole Piazza Clemens fiasco and how I just went berserk. I was out of my gourd that night and the one person who could attest to that is my former radio partner, JD, because I was bursting at the seams considering what happened earlier that summer with Clemens beating Piazza in the helmet in that Saturday night, day-night doubleheader, Shea to Yankee Stadium. And then, of course, them losing that game, Piazza hitting the ball to the warning track and which off the bat I thought it was gone they would have tied the game at that moment. 2001, how can anybody forget about what happened 9-11? And I understand, I was in the super minority because I'm able to separate my allegiance to what went on in the country to sports. And sports, as we all know, just like Scott Robb, the gentleman from Esquire, who had the interview with A-Rod talking about the scenario where A-Rod said that Jeter isn't a guy that you're going to focus on in the lineup, it's going to be more Bernie and O'Neal, and how I'm just putting out a story Well, hey, my allegiance is not to the Yankees. And granted, the horrific events of what took place there down in lower Manhattan, and not only just that, but also at the Pentagon and in Pennsylvania, but specifically here in New York, I was not going to rally around the Yankee tribe here in the tri-state area to think, all right, let's win it for New York. Especially after those two games, four and five with Byung Young Kim blowing those games the way he did two outs in the ninth inning, giving up those two two two-run homers to Tino and Scott Brocious. I'm sorry. When the Arizona Diamondbacks won that World Series, I was ecstatic. And true story. After Mariano came in the bottom of the eighth inning when Soriano in the top of the inning hit the home run off of Schilling, and Mariano just blew by the bottom of the eighth, I said, I can't watch another World Series. I've had enough. I do not want to see this team win again. They won four of the last five, and last year against my beloved Mets, how much more could I take? So I turned the channel, Sunday Night Football, ESPN, where the Jets were playing the Saints. And I couldn't watch the ninth inning. I said, no way, I'm not going to subject myself to another Yankee victory. Oh, I was just sick. And then Mike Patrick, who I believe was doing the game with Joe Theismann and Paul McGuire, when I hear him say, and congratulations to the Arizona Diamondbacks, I couldn't believe it. I fumbled with the remote. I put it onto Channel 5, and next thing you know, the celebration on the field, Bob Brenly, Randy Johnson, etc. I couldn't believe it. So yes, although I was in a small minority, I know people could say, including my wife, oh, you're such a hater. How could you hate? Blah, blah, blah. So, sorry, it's in the blood. It's in the DNA. Just like I love to talk sports, I cannot root for the Yankees. I'm sorry. Just like I wouldn't root for the Rangers in 94 when they won their cup. Just like I wouldn't root for the New York Giants, the football team. Just like I wouldn't root for the Knicks, the Nets, Devils. I understand in New Jersey. But you you get it. Not root for any of these teams. My allegiance is to the Mets, and that's it. Sorry. So 5-6 and six tonight for those who haven't watched it. And you have to watch it. It's very good. Jeter comes through just like he always has, full of class. And uh, I just enjoyed it. Good stuff. All right, now let's move over to the gridiron. Let me put up my other cleats, my football cleats, to get into what's happening here. 
And right after I recorded the podcast Monday, the word came down that Deshaun Watson was suspended for six games by the arbiter that was involved in this whole process, which seemed to take forever. And the NFL and the Players Association both had 72 hours, their window, to appeal either way. Now, what was said or what was reported at the time was that the NFL was going to stand pat. They were going to accept the six games and also urge the NFL to do the same. So the Players Association was going to accept their fate. They probably wanted to appeal, but they figured, oh, you know what, let's leave it be. If the league also obliges and they're going to stick with what the suspension is going to be, then we have no problem with it. Well, yesterday afternoon, the NFL said, take that, as they're going to appeal the suspension to where they want to increase the six games that has been bestowed upon a one Deshaun Watson. So I'm sure that's pissed off the Players Association, and even though we haven't heard from the NFLPA as of this moment, but I'm sure this could be a tug of war that's going to go on between now and five weeks from today, which is the start of the NFL season, as to whether or not this suspension is going to be increased by who knows how many games. But the interesting thing is right now, not only just the NFLPA and the league itself, but Roger Goodell, and everybody knows he's my favorite guy. Of course, I say that sarcastically. But it has not been determined whether or not Goodell's going to take this upon himself to put a number as to how many games Deshaun Watson should get based on his actions here over the last 18 months. Whether he's going to take charge or if he's going to hand that off to somebody else, that is going to be the interesting question because, as we all know, he has been a PR nightmare over the years and do I even need to go down the road, whether it was Spygate, Bountygate, Ray Rice, uh, you name it, the concussion deal. I understand that was different. It has nothing to do with suspensions, but he swept that under the rug and tried to cover it up by saying... There is no evidence of all that. I don't have to go down that road. But Goodell has just been an abomination when it comes to this. And I actually think this will give him some approval rating, not only with the league, the owners, but also with the NFL fans. And I'm sure there's a lot that could care less. But I would think that if he puts a number, whatever that number may be, and I think He'll probably try to go as high as 10. That would be my guess. Now, I don't know. I'm not in his head. But I would think 10 to maybe decrease it to 6. Who knows? If he's going to go higher than that, I'd be shocked. But again, I think he's going to pass the baton to somebody else and let them handle it. Because I'm sure he doesn't want to have to do any of the dirty work to roll up his sleeves to say, I want to give him the year, 13 games, 12 games, whatever it may be. I'm sure he doesn't want to be painted as the bad guy here. But you know what? You're making $40 million a year, and here's your chance to at least rise above everything else that has fallen at your feet and have pretty much fallen apart when it comes to assessing all of these various scenarios. And as we know with Calvin Ridley, how much that was a joke where he got a year for a $1,500 bet on one of these gambling sites And you would think that the way that unfolded and how that was demonized to think that Ridley got a year 
just for putting money on DraftKings or FanDuel or whatever site it was? Goodell should step up here and say, however many games it is, start with 17 and work your way back. But I don't want him to, or his people to come out and say, all right, we want to increase it to eight games. What's two games? If you really want to take a stand, go above and beyond that. As I mentioned, start off with a year, and if that's going to be too harsh amongst the people that you're going to confide in when, when it comes to this, then make it 13 games, which would be a little bit more than three-quarters of a season. So this is going to be interesting, to say the least, and how the Players Association is going to respond to this. I'm sure this could be a fight to the very end, but remember, there's a five-week window here. It's not as if they have all spring or all summer to hash this out or to be at each other's throats to decide on, oh, we urge you to not appeal and now we're going to fight fire with fire. Or when we do appeal, it's going to be war. Who knows? I'm sure it may end up being that way, but we'll have to wait and see. And then the NFL and the Miami Dolphins notified them how they're going to be stripped of their 2023 first-round pick and also, I believe, a third-round pick in the following year, in 2024, because of some tampering issues in regards to Tom Brady, also coach Sean Payton. And for the Dolphins, we've heard all along, especially after Brady's quote-unquote retirement, or I believe the year before that, where a lot of the talk was him going down to South Florida to quarterback the Dolphins, and with this investigation that took over the course of a six-month period where they found some information, the owner, Stephen Ross, who a lot of people feel that he's, I'm not going to call him a snake, but he's a guy that is, let's say, maybe not trustworthy, Especially when we look at what happened with Brian Flores, the whole, I'll give you $100,000 if we tank the season so we could try to get Tua to go Valoa to be our first round draft pick, which it was. And to go Valoa now is going into a, not huge, an enormous year based on what they've done this offseason to stockpile their offense tailored to the young quarterback. But for Ross and for the Dolphins now losing this pick and who knows what is going to transpire with this organization now where Ross has also been fined $1.5 million. He can't represent the team at any event. He's not even permitted into the facility. So with the suspension on top of that too, not only with the fine, but I believe he's suspended to the middle of October, I think October 17th. So that is also another situation which is already over and done with, but the NFL can't seem to get out of their own way when it comes to whether it's the players and how they behave off the field. As you had another incident with Hollywood Brown caught for speeding out in Arizona, situation with Stephen Ross, and now we have this with Deshaun Watson. I tell you, and the NFL throughout all this, the shield is bulletproof. Because come week one, everybody's going to have their fantasy teams. Everybody's going to have their picks of the week. Everybody's going to be revved up, raring to go. Not caring about Deshaun Watson, about the Dolphin mess, about Hollywood Brown, or anything else. 
because the NFL could do no wrong, even if it does go wrong. Because week one, everybody's going to have their snacks ready. Everybody's going to be ready to tailgate. Everybody's going to have their fantasy teams in order. And it'll be as if nothing ever happened. Lastly, and this is going to be a two-pronged attack when it comes to the world of golf. I'll start off with Tiger Woods, where Greg Norman had an interview with Fox News, of all people. How he announced that Tiger Woods had passed on $700 to $800 million, an offer that the Golf Live Tour was going to give him the, or what they thought was going to be the Godfather offer of all time. And Tiger just thumbed his nose and said, "Uh -uh, I'm good. And kudos to Tiger for doing that. And we talked about this a few weeks back when he had his interview right before the Open at St. Andrews. And he talked about how the players who had jumped ship, whether your name was Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, all on down the line, how they turned their back on the tour, how they pretty much walked away from history playing at these prolific and historic golf courses. And obviously Tiger was not in favor of that. And Tiger, as we all know, has made two boatloads worth of money. And it didn't matter how much of a blank check that was going to be presented to him. He said, "Uh uh-uh, I got enough money. Why do I need to take almost three quarters of a billion dollars, not a million, three quarters of a B to play golf in eight or nine events at golf courses that I'm sure on its best day cannot top Augusta, Pebble Beach, Torrey Pines on its worst day. And Norman, I don't know what he gets out of putting that information out there. I guess maybe he was trying to take a shot at Tiger, which I'm sure Tiger just brushed off. No big deal. But as I said then and I'll say now, I'm with Tiger when it comes to that. One more time, and I use this on my TikTok feed for those who already have seen that, and here they are, oh, Jay Rue is going to go down this avenue again. But some station in Boise, Idaho, and no offense to the people or the state of Idaho, but they can say, Jay Reels, we want you to come out here, but only to talk high school and college sports, which means the volleyball team, the swim team, the track team, and the badminton team, if we give you $5 million a year over the course of the next five years. Guess what? I am not taking it. If you're driving off the road or falling out of your chair, here's the reason why. If I can't talk baseball, basketball, football, hockey, MMA, boxing, golf, tennis, why even bother? These are the sports that I'm invested in. I'm not invested in volleyball, badminton, track and field, and no offense to those sports either. But this is about integrity. This is about dignity. And for Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, of course, I'm not going to tell them what to do with their lives or with their money, but these guys have already made a ton of money. So you mean to tell me that if they made in upwards of $95 million is what Dustin Johnson has made throughout the course of his career. And for him to now, I don't even know, the rumor was $250 million. Is my life going to be better now with $250 million more than the 94 that I've currently made throughout the course of my tenure as a player in golf? 
Sorry, that's not going to cut it. At least for me, if I were to go to Boise, Idaho to say, all right, what the hell, and then have to brush up on some sports that I have known nothing about, and at the end of the day, who really cares about? But hey, I got all the money, and it says a lot for Charles Barkley, who I'm sure they're ready to back up the truck for him, and there were rumors about him going to live, and I'm sure part of it was backlash, and I'm sure part of it was going to be unpopular with the public outcry that would have been, oh, look at Charles going for the money, but he said, uh uh-uh, I'm good. And kudos to Charles for that. Because I'm sure Charles has plenty of money with the TNT gig, and we all know people watch Inside the NBA as one of the best pre- and post-game shows in any of the sports. That's my point. So why did Norman do that? Who knows? I'm sure he and Tiger Woods aren't going to have dinner or send Christmas cards to one another anytime soon. And then with that being said, Phil Mickelson, as well as Bryson DeChambeau, and I believe nine other golfers that were suspended by the PGA, as we talked about there weeks ago, now they're going to file an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour where they're seeking temporary restraining order from a federal judge that would allow them to at least compete in the FedEx Cup playoffs because, remember, those players who jump ship, although some of them are exempt to play in the majors because they've won major tournaments in the past, but when it comes to the Ryder Cup, which is not until next year, and the FedEx Cup playoffs, they wouldn't be allowed to play. And now that they're going to file this lawsuit, against the PGA, and as we talked about with the NFL, who knows what kind of emotional, psychological, and to a certain extent, spiritual tug-of-war this is going to take place because these golfers feel as if, hey, I'm Phil Mickelson. I'm Bryson DeChambeau. I should be playing in these tournaments. How dare the PGA not allow me to play in this FedEx Cup playoff? Which, at the end of the day, means nothing. It's not a major tournament. I get it that it's a major tournament light to some people, but when it's all said and done, does anybody really care? Absolutely not. The Ryder Cup is almost treated as a major because they play every other year and it's the U.S. versus everybody else, so people look forward to that. I don't know if the average golf fan is looking forward to the FedEx Cup playoffs here, and I don't even know when they are, to be honest with you, but this is just going to be a power struggle for them to strong arm the PGA to see whether or not they're going to play. Do I agree with it? Absolutely not. They made their beds. They have to lie in it. And good luck to them. I hope the PGA stands pat. I hope they stand their ground. At least this time around. Maybe they can work something out down the road. For future FedEx Cup playoffs. But as of right now. I hope the PGA stands pat and says. Alright you want to do this? Well at least for this go around. It is not going to happen for you guys. So we'll have to keep an eye. On that. And that'll do it. Another pod in the books. Love to be here to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise, all that which has to do with what's happening in the sports world. I thank you for stopping by to listen to me and to feel my passion through your earbuds of speakers. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review. So we can increase the visibility of this podcast. I'm working on some guests, which I 
maybe hope in the next couple of weeks I may have a former player. I'm not going to tip my hand just yet because it's not etched in stone. And when I mean by former player, I'm talking about NFL player who was an all-pro at one point. So we'll keep that right now on the back burner as that's percolating. So stay tuned for that as you can check the website as well, jreels.com. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, suggestions, etc., you could do so at the following on TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, on Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth is going to go 100% into this endeavor. The production, equipment, upkeep of the website to have this experience come through your speakers or earbuds to be as crystal clear, as concise, succinct, because there are plenty of other sports podcasts out there, as we all know, but I want you guys and gals to keep coming back because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in my blood. It's in the DNA. Sports has been pretty much ingrained since birth because I love to talk about anything and everything that happens on the world of the ice, diamond, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>